That means you. <laughs> Turn to Acts chapter 9. you're using one of the chair Bibles located in front of you, it's going to be on page 917. 917. When I was in seminary, we had a professor who talked about this idea that throughout the Bible, God gives physical reminders of a spiritual truth. And every time he did it, he would sort of slap his cheeks. I don't know if he did that on purpose every time, but literally every time he'd go, physical reminder of a spiritual truth. Let me give you an example. Many times in the Old Testament you see God's people making rock piles. By the way, when the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, says, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, it's talking about the rock piles, not the character from A Christmas Carol. Just in case anyone was confused, Ebenezer is a pile of rocks. We're not raising up grumpy old men to help us remember things. I mean, maybe, I don't know. You pick. I'll go with a rock pile. You get it. <clears throat> Even communion, in some ways, is a physical reminder of a spiritual truth. We have these physical elements that we hold, we see, we smell, we taste, and in holding the bread and tasting the bread and having the juice and drinking the juice, we are again reminded of the spiritual truth that Jesus in his body took our place on the cross and with his blood shed for our forgiveness of sins. Today's story, we're introduced again to Saul, who if you've read the end of Acts becomes the Apostle Paul. Sorry, spoilers on that one. But in his conversion story, which is what we're going to look at today, where he places his trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life, he is given, and we, reading this story, are given a physical reminder of a spiritual truth. That a part of Saul's conversion, as we will see, is a physical blindness that helps us understand the spiritual blindness of Saul. And again, not to ruin the story for everybody, but when he gets healed at the end and he is made to see, physically we understand that he sees the truth of the gospel and that Jesus Christ is his Savior. We're going to see in today's story gospel transformation. Not just Saul made into a better Saul, but just as the distinction between being blind and being able to see, Saul is transformed from death into life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he is transformed, his whole life is transformed into becoming one of the greatest missionaries of the early church. 
And so if you're following along in your bulletin and the outline we provide, you're going to see our big idea this morning is that when God opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel, he transforms us into being his missionaries. Again, when God opens our eyes, just as he opens the eyes of Saul, when he opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel, just like Saul, he transforms our lives and he transforms the purpose of our lives into being his missionaries to the ends of the earth. So let's look at point number one there, that Saul was blinded. And yes, I got a little cutesy with my outline because later he's going to see, and yes, I ripped off of Amazing Grace for that one. But let's first look at he was blinded. Follow along as I read verses 1 to 2 of chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Again, especially for those of us who know the end of the story and know who Saul becomes, we need to to rest on the description of Saul in these first two verses. Look how he is described, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Again, to appreciate the transformation of who Saul becomes, we need to understand what his life was like before Jesus. And I've said it before, I've used this term before to help us understand the gravity of who Saul was. Saul was a religious terrorist. And his life was completely committed to eradicating Christians. Again, we we forget that when, when we think only about who Saul becomes. But we need to understand who he was before. And and we see how committed he is to eradicating Christianity that he goes and takes the initiative and has the ambition to get letters giving him the authority to arrest any believers he finds in the city of Damascus. He is so passionate about stopping Christianity that he goes to his authorities and gets permission to arrest people that he hopes to find. Notice, he doesn't necessarily know who he's going after. Look at verse 2. And asked for him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so at if he found any belonging to the way, he might arrest them. He is literally hunting Christians. You don't do that unless that is the passion of your life. Again, Saul is literally hunting the church. He wasn't asked to. It is the passion of his heart to stop the gospel. But all that changes when he is confronted by the risen Lord Jesus. 
Let's look at verses 3 to 6. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Again, this Christian hunter terrorist is on his way seeking to destroy the church. And the risen Christ appears and knocks him down. Look again at the end of verse 3. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice. That he is knocked over by the glory of God. And he must understood as an observing Jew that this was coming from heaven. But he doesn't know who's talking to him. And you need to imagine his shock that when he asks, Who are you, Lord? That the voice from heaven answers, I am Jesus. You need to put yourself in Saul's shoes because the man that you are convinced was a blasphemer and a liar and an evil man and a dead man is now speaking to you from heaven and whose glory has literally knocked you down to the ground. Saul has committed his life to stopping people who believe in Jesus and now Jesus is speaking to him risen from the dead from heaven. <laughs> and Jesus says to him, get up, finish the rest of your trip and you'll be told what to do. But what we see is that Saul is not unaffected by this confrontation. Look at verses 7 to 9. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul has just been proved wrong in a miraculous way. Everything he believed is wrong. If Jesus is really risen from the dead and speaking to him from heaven. And his sight is taken from him. And, and as I heard one preacher say, 
What do you think he did for those three days? He's got nowhere to go. He cannot see. And again, this was a man who was one of the most educated men in the scriptures. One of the smartest men of his time. Don't you think that he was literally going through every verse in his Bible that he knew, that he needed to change his thinking about because Jesus really was the Messiah. Because here's something that we need to point out. It says, for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I close my eyes, I feel confident I could still eat and drink. Now, it might just be that I'm gifted in that area. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, but it doesn't say that he was prevented. And, and so some have speculated that he was fasting and praying and, and going through his Bible that he had memorized because his whole world has been turned upside down because Jesus, who he thought was dead, has been raised to life and is speaking from heaven. Everything has to change. And so for three days, he gets quiet time in his room so he can think about what he did. Because he has to change everything. Because Jesus is alive. And so his blindness is a sign to us of, of how when he was against Jesus, he was living in darkness and sin. And he's confronted with his sin in, in being confronted by the risen Jesus. But God does not leave him blind. He was blinded. But in verses 10 to 16, we're going to see that now he sees. So let's first look at the call of Jesus to a man named Ananias, starting in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So we're introduced to this believer named Ananias. And God says, Ananias. And Ananias says, here I am. Wonderful, wonderful response to the call of God. But God says, Ananias, here, let me, let me give you some directions. Write this down. So get up, go out of your house, take a right on State Street, and a few houses down on the right, you're going to see a house of a man named Judas. Right? He's giving them a little direction. They didn't have GPS back then, so they had to write it down. Okay, so go to that house. And, and there's a guy in that house, Saul of Tarsus. He's been praying, and I sent him a vision 
of you that you would come and heal him so that he can see again. Now you can almost picture Ananias listening to God and saying, okay, State Street, okay, uh, House uh, of Judas, and then, oh, who's in there? <laughs> Hang on, let me, let me go back. So State Street, House of Judas, and Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus? Okay. Because look at verses 13 and 14. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias knows exactly who Saul is. Again, look at that description. How much evil he has done to your saints. And, and Anna, Ananias knows that he has the authority to arrest any believer that he finds. And guess what? If Ananias goes and finds Saul, it makes it really easy for Saul to find Ananias because he's right there. Especially if God has Ananias heal Saul so he can see again because then he'll be able to see Ananias and that's really easy to arrest somebody when they're standing in front of them. I, I talked with Grant Walker about that. That is very true. If they're standing in front of you, it makes it much easier to arrest them. It's authoritative right there. And, but again, this helps us understand who Saul was. And it helps us better appreciate who Saul is going to become. Because not only is Ananias called to heal Saul, he's going to commission Saul for the mission field. Look at verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He said, Ananias, you don't have a choice. Because Saul is no longer a persecutor of the church. He is a messenger of mine to the nations. Look at those three groups starting with he will go to the children of Israel. He will go to his people. Saul was Jewish. But in addition to that, we've already seen God's mission among the Jewish people in these chapters and acts. But we will also see him carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. God is using Saul to go with the gospel where no one else has gone before. He is taking the hunter of the church and sending him to the farthest people away from God. 
And not just the Gentiles, but also to kings, to people in power. Again, the one who wanted to stop Christianity is going to be sent to speak to the most powerful people who could kill him at any time. Again, this is not a world of democracy. (laughs) This is not a world of human rights. The one who put Christ's people in danger will be put in danger himself for the sake of the gospel. Because his life has a new passion. And he is completely transformed from hunting the church to spreading it to every nation. But I want you to see a really cool reversal in the text. Look at verse 14. Ananias said, He has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And then in verse 15, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. It's a complete 180. The one who tried to stop the name is going to carry the name across the world. This is the transformative power of the gospel. To take a terrorist and turn him into a missionary. And we talked about his commitment. That he was so committed that he made it his life goal to stop the church by going and getting this permission and and to spend all of his time hunting the church. But now, he is so committed that he will endure suffering for the gospel. Look at verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The one who caused suffering for believers will now endure suffering as a believer. Again, a complete reversal of his life. And he talks about it in 1 Timothy. Let me read you 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. Again, this is, this is written by Saul later in his life. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard me until the day which has been entrusted to me. The one who brought suffering on God's people when he understands the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for him and rose again so that he could have forgiveness, reconciliation to God, and eternal life, when he experiences the gospel, he is now ready to suffer for the gospel. He is willing to make the gospel his passion, his driving force, the thing so treasured it is worth the suffering. And because he trusts the God who called him. Read verse 12 again. 
which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard me until the day that has been entrusted to me. And so thirdly, we see the transformation of Paul, but we see him prepare for his new life. Because God's transformation, when it transforms who you are, it transforms what you do. Look at verses 17 to 19. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. I want you to see three testimonies of Saul's new life. Number one is the testimony of, the Anani- of Ananias in verse 17. Because remember, Ananias knows exactly who Saul was. We saw that. He even knew about getting permission from the Jewish leaders to arrest Christians. Okay? But look what he calls him in verse 17. Brother Saul. He's no longer an enemy, but a brother in Christ. The one who hunted Christians is a member of God's family, the family he tried to kill. Now here, and again we've seen this before, that that through the laying on of hands, God bestows the Spirit on Saul. And again, we've talked that this is the exception, not the rule. But again, why is it the exception? Because who's going to believe that a terrorist is now a missionary? And so God gives this, this dose of grace to the church to help them understand that Saul has been transformed. I mean, think about it. You've got a guy who's hunting the church. Don't you think he'd try to infiltrate as like an undercover double agent? Right? They have all the reason in the world to be paranoid about his conversion. And in fact, later we'll see it takes Barnabas taking him to the church and say, I vouch personally for Saul. We'll get there. That's, that's coming later. But, but for now, you need to see that God uses Ananias' testimony to show the church, yes, I have changed this man's life. And he's no longer a terrorist, but he's a brother through the gospel of Christ. See, again, we need to understand the gospel just doesn't make a better you. The gospel just isn't for your own self-improvement. The gospel transforms you from an enemy of God to sons and daughters of God. And and, and from our perspective, that there are some who are enemies of the church, but the gospel can transform any of them into brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, as we've seen before, if God can save Saul, he can save anybody. No one is outside of the mighty arm of God. 
Next, we see the testimony of Saul's eyes in verse 18. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. What a wonderful picture of the transformation of God in our lives. That Ananias was able to physically see scales drop off from his eyes. That, that, that a physical picture of his sight being regained demonstrates how his heart can now see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel has the power to make the blind see. And when he is physically able to see, it is a sign from God that he sees the truth of the gospel and believes in Jesus as his Savior so that his sins are forgiven and he has the hope of eternal life. Thirdly, we have the testimony of baptism. After these scales fell off, it says, Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Again, this is a gift from the church, a physical reminder of a spiritual truth that, that in the act of baptism, which is done in response to the belief in our hearts, in Jesus, that we are put under the water and, and, and symbolizing dying to our sins and then we are raised up out of the water just as we are raised to life through the righteousness of Christ. That baptism for us represents dying to our old self and living to our new selves. Again, a physical reminder of a spiritual truth. Now, now in some parts of the world, this is very clearly seen. I hear stories from those in the mission field that oftentimes when a family will disown a Christian is after they've been baptized. Because there's a sense in where that family feels where there's no hope to bring them back. <laughs> and they recognize what baptism is. Baptism is, I am dead to my former life and I am living my life to Christ. And again, for Saul to do this, he was, he was leaving behind his old way of life. And when you are baptized, you are leaving behind your old way of life and living a new life to Christ. And again, as we see baptism function in the book of Acts, that this is again another testimony that Paul's life has been changed because if it wasn't changed, he wouldn't get baptized. Let me close with a couple thoughts of application. Let me give you two main ones this morning. The first one is this. No one is so blind that God cannot open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Again, if you're blind, you can't be like doubly blind, right? You're blind. And God can make the blind see. And again, if, if, if God can save Saul, he can save anybody. 
And so, so part of this for you is some of you need to open your eyes today. Some of you need to believe that, that you are a sinner separated from God because of your sin and that Jesus died for you so you could be forgiven and have his righteousness so you could be reconciled to God and have the hope of eternal life. And for some of you, today is that day for response and open up your eyes to that truth. Secondly, I want to give you hope for those of you who have friends and family members who are still blind to the gospel. Again, there is hope because our God is a God who makes the blind see. There is always hope for your loved ones because no one is so far a sinner that they cannot be saved by the grace of God. And let me give you something. As you pray for your family members and your friends, I want to give you a verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is part of a prayer at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Again, written by Paul. It says this, having the eyes of your heart enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. For those of you who have loved ones who do not know Jesus, there is your prayer right there. That God would open their eyes to the truth and that they would understand the hope that God offers. And they would understand the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. Secondly, that when you believe the gospel, your life is transformed. Again, to quote Saul later in life, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So when you believe, you as a person are transformed into not an enemy of God, but a child of God. But you are, and you are reconciled to God in your relationship with him. But you are also transformed in your purpose, in that you are given a ministry to share that reconciliation with others so that they may be reconciled to God. Right, verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, that through Christ we are reconciled to God, but that's not the end of the verse. The end of the verse is that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Our lives are totally transformed for the gospel, and just like Paul, we have new purpose and new life. Friends, the gospel takes the blind and makes them see. The gospel takes the blind, makes them see, and turns them into missionaries for the gospel. Because when God opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel, he also transforms us into being his missionaries. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for the story of Saul. That when confronted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was transformed from a terrorist into a missionary. God, we thank you that you make the blind see. That when we are dead in our sins, you make us alive through Christ Jesus. And that no one is outside of the scope of your grace. God, that we would be transformed by your word this morning. That you would transform us into obedient missionaries of the gospel. Because you have saved us. You have made all of us who were blind to see. And God, that you would change the passion in our hearts as a passion to go against the Jesus, but a passion for Jesus and the spread of his name to the nations. We pray this in his name. Amen.